Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to Exposed. I'm Joseph Shepard and each week we dive into the lives of individuals who may have been on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. Now this bitch, let me just tell you, she just came off of Canada Drag Race season two. She had multiple tricks up her sleeve and unfortunately she ended up walking away not getting that crown, but she served some of the best fucking looks that season. It is Eve 6000. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. And we can actually say both seasons. We don't have to just say that season. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Correct, correct. We should say both. Yes. Because looking season at it overall, it's... I will say one thing to you. You have been very prevalent and you've been very... You're not afraid to speak your mind. You say how you feel. After the show, we'll get into all the show and everything into your career, but you've been very adamant about kind of reception after and being treated and how Canada was kind of like the ugly stepchild and how you guys have not been getting the same attention and stuff. What do you think that that is? Yeah, I think there were just interesting choices made in terms of the airing of the show and the advertising of the show. And I don't know if the choices were the right choices. And maybe it's something that couldn't have been helped. Maybe it's just because people are overloaded with Drag Race now. There's just too many seasons this year and, or last year. And it was just too much and people just didn't care as much, which is absolutely true. And you can see that across the board. Like each new season, the girls don't get as much of a following as they used to. So that's sort of par for the course and to be expected. I found it very questionable and interesting that there was a bunch of billboards for the show in Montreal, but there was no physical advertisement whatsoever in Toronto, which is the most populous city in the country. Kind of weird, right? And season one, season one, they had all kinds of advertisements. They had billboards at Dundas Square. They had billboards on the highway. You like couldn't you couldn't go around the city without seeing it, you know. But for us, there was only Montreal, not even Vancouver. And they had four girls from Vancouver on the cast. So I, you know, I found that questionable. So you were born in Canada. Where about in Canada? I was born in London, Ontario. I had to think about it for a second. 
And uh, we moved around like a lot. Like I've been, I've lived in so many different places, but all within Ontario. Um, So I hadn't actually left the country ever uh, until I did Continental Plus in September. So (laughs) really, I had never, I had never left the province of Ontario within Canada until I went to Montreal for a viewing party. I've never, otherwise, I've never left the province of Ontario. I'm very untraveled. <laughs> wow. So you've never, like, you've never gone, where would you go on vacation if you were going to go somewhere? I think when I was two years old, um, we went to Disney World or whatever the one is in Florida. But I don't count that because I can't, I don't even remember it, you know, so it doesn't even register for me. Um, but we never went on vacation. Like, I grew up really poor. So, like, vacation like I was hoping to get a a new change of clothes so that I wouldn't get made fun of at school you know like I wasn't worried about vacation you know and my whole life like every time I get money I always just spend it on something that can last because I don't like I don't I'm not going to spend five grand on a vacation if I can spend five grand on a new computer and like you know invest in invest in my future in some way you know I have never been one for vacations but maybe if I suddenly have a huge influx of cash, that will change. <laughs> well, um, you identify as non-binary, correct? Yeah. Well, things are changing. Okay. Um, this is actually something that I wanted to do this interview for because it's something that I wanted to talk about. I think very, very recently, like in the past like three weeks, I basically have come to the realization and made the decision that I am going to transition. So I don't even know really how to talk about it right now because it's like, I don't really want to refer to myself as a trans woman when I'm not living that life yet, you know? But um, my first appointment for HRT is in April. So yeah, it's kind of a big thing for me and it's kind of opened my eyes in a lot of ways. And changed my perspective on a lot of things because it's given me like a hope and something to look forward to. And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to all the changes that will come with that. And I'm excited for, you know, three, four years down the line when I can be, you know, who I truly am. For sure. And I mean, that's, but it's so exciting too. Like, you know, you say it's April, but that moment in April is going to be so big to you and you won't even Mm -hmm. like, this is like, you know, like a Canadian drag race getting on a show. Like you were finally becoming who you are meant to be. I can't give you enough mm-hmm. props for coming around and actually acknowledging what you as an individual need and want. Did it take you a long time to realize who you were as, a, you know, as an individual? Yes. And more so than realizing, it also takes a long time to accept we all internalized like transphobia because of our society and the way and racism and sexism and all of those things. Right. So, but transphobia is one that has affected me the most because my own internalized transphobia was not allowing me to acknowledge like who I am and what I need to do with my life. One of the things that made me realize that this was the right decision for me was that my whole life, I've never been able to imagine myself older. Like, I've never been able to think about, like, what will my life be like when I'm 40 years old, when I'm 50 years old? I've never been able to see it in my head. And I've never been able to visualize, like, who that looks like as a man, you know, at 40 and 50 years old. 
But when I think of myself as a woman being, you know, 60 years old, I see it and I can, I just, I know that that's who I'm supposed to be, you know, and I've waited for so long and I'm not going to wait till I'm 50, you know, and my parents have held me back because I don't really know how they'll feel about it and they don't know yet, but I can't wait for them to die so that I can live. You know, I have to be like who I am. And I actually told my grandmother about it already, ironically, but um, yeah, and she's very accepting and she's very, you know, encouraging and everything. So I'm lucky to have that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what my, my dad will say or my mom will say, but at this point I don't care because neither of them are that involved in my life anyway. (laughs) So if they don't want to be in my life, that's unfortunate, but I have to do you know, I have to live my life and I have to try to be happy, you know, as you know, who I'm supposed to be. I love that you said you don't want to wait until you're 50 and you don't want to wait until your parents pass, because I'm going to say something to you. My dad came out of the closet as gay about four years ago and him being almost 60 years old and doing that, I have never felt so bad for somebody because I was like, you waited your whole life because of what other people told you or did. And now you're finally being yourself in the last leg of your life. And it's sad, like for people to have to suppress that energy and who they are as a human being, because you're trying to appease to somebody else, or you don't fully know who you are as an individual yet. So I will say to you, I'm glad that you are going to go on the journey and becoming yourself. And, you know, no matter what your parents say at the end of the day, know that you have a community behind you, whether it be Drag Race fans, whether it be me, you can always text me, do whatever. Like, I don't I don't care. Like, I want you to have all the support you need because this is the moment you need it the most. Yeah, thank you. And um, another thing I wanted to touch on about the internalized transphobia is like, because I'm now 30, you know, I would think to myself, like, I'm too old to do this now, you know? And I always thought back and I was, and I, Another thing that really made me realize that this was what I needed to do was that I would think about like, okay, if I was 18 today, would I be transitioning? And the answer is yes, I definitely would be. Because when I was 18, I didn't know, I didn't even know what it meant. I had no idea. And like when I, even when I was three or four years old, one of my earliest memories in my life, I would wish that I would wake up as a girl the next day before I went to bed, like every night. And it just was kind of, like it was suppressed, you know, throughout my whole life. And when I was 18, I was living very androgynously and I had, you know, my hair was long and I had blonde hair and it was, you know, and I would wear women's clothes most of the time and I was very skinny. So I felt comfortable that way because in society's view, if you're thin, you're allowed to do things like that, you know, but being the person that I am today, I was so scared about the idea of transitioning because I know it's going to make life so much harder for me. Um, because I'm tall and I have broad shoulders and, you know, I'm a a certain size, you know, and I'm over 30. So, you know, I've already started, you know, balding and shit, you know what I mean? So like, it's going to be a really difficult road for me and I'm going to need a lot of procedures. I'll be posting that GoFundMe, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, you know, so it was a really daunting idea. Like, and I just came to the conclusion, you know, I've been depressed and I've been suicidal for like over 10 years, you know, it's on and off, on and off, on and off, you know, it always comes back. And 
this is the reason why. And I just have to finally take the step and make the change. And I just think in a year or two years or three years or four years from now, I'm going to be so much happier because I'll be able to live, you know, 24 seven as, you know, who I'm meant to be. And by the way, my name is not going to be Eve. (laughs) There has to be a differentiation from the drag to the. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you a question because sometimes when, you know, girls are in doing drag before they transition, they stop doing drag. Are you going to continue to do drag after? No, I think I'll continue to do drag. And I know I had posted on Twitter about like quitting drag and stuff, but it's actually like, there's so many reasons. There's so many things that go into this, but another one of the things that really inspired me to make this change was all of the amazing trans queens that I look up to that I hold in such reverence. And I've always been like almost obsessed with them. Like I've always admired them so much. And I know it's not an attraction thing because I'm not really into women, but like just, I just wanted to be them. You know, there's a queen uh, Fahrenheit here in Toronto and she's like world renowned. She's won this continental plus. She's incredible. Um, She's Brooklyn's mother. And I've just always watched her at her shows and been like, oh my God, like I want to be exactly like her. Like I want to have, you know, I want to have the boobs and I want to be that beautiful and I want to, you know, be a woman, you know? And so that like, it was another part of it that inspired me. And so I don't think I would stop doing drag because I think my drag would only get better and better. So why would I stop? You know, I'm excited for the opportunities in drag that, that will afford me, you know, whatever it's give and take, you know, because there's opportunities that will be taken away. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about it and yeah, I don't think I could ever quit drag. I mean, I was feeling down and I made a post about it, but uh, it's something that's really intrinsic to who I am at this point. I've been doing it for so long and I just don't think I could ever stop. It's addictive. Yeah. Well, speaking of the the addiction bug, I do want to get into your drag, but I just want to say before I get on there, I'm very happy that you're going through this journey. Now, also, you said like seeing yourself at like 50 or 60 years old. I like envision you like like how you're wearing your print right now. I envision this like big <laughs> fur coat, you just sitting with like a cigarette, like <laughs> smoking on like this lush couch. Like that's how I envision you being like 60 years old. I see like uh you're like the cool bitch. Honestly, my vision for myself when I'm older, and I always think of like 60. I'm an art teacher in a high school and I have long silver hair and middle parted (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like low key and like not fussy or anything, but I also have always idolized the rich aunties. So maybe I'll be one of those, (laughs) but yeah, you know, I, I just always, art has always been my thing. And I, I always like had such reverence for my art teachers as well. And you know, that could, that's definitely something I could see myself doing. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Oh, that's awesome though. Like, and you do art too. Like you're, you do graphics Mm -hmm. and stuff, right? Yep. Did that start in like high school, middle school? Like when did you start learning that you were a creative being? Yeah, I've always drawn my whole life. I actually remember the first time I ever like tried to draw. And I think I was like four years old. I mean, the first time I really like thought about it and made an effort, you know? And I think I was four years old. I had a placemat, like a little mermaid placemat. And I put the paper over the placemat and I like traced it to like to draw Ariel because I've always been obsessed with Ariel. Here's another trans clue. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, 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 that's always been kind of my, my thing is visual arts. And I, I was the kid who used to always be drawing in my notebook in class. And then all the other kids would come around and watch and be like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know? And then when I went to art school, I was like nowhere near the best in the class. And I was so upset about it. <laughs> But yeah, that's always been a part of who I am. And I, I started doing digital art when I was probably like, uh, I guess like 18, but I started like with the tablets and everything when I was like 20 or so. Wow. I, I love that you said that you were like writing stuff in like a notebook and people would come around you when my ass was just, I literally signed my name in 900 history books. Like anytime I had a book, I was practicing my signature in them. And I'm like, well, whoever gets this history book next year, save it. It might be worth some money someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's iconic. <laughs> so... When was the first time that you performed in a public setting in drag? Yeah. Um, okay. Let me think. So I started going out in drag for the first time when season six uh, was happening. And I started going to viewing parties. Actually, they were hosted by Scarlet Bobo. And so I used to go to the viewing parties and I would be like, hanging around her and like trying to get connections from her and stuff. And I remember one time she, um, the party after afterwards would be FML, which is on Mondays and it's actually still going. Um, it's always been here in Toronto as long, longer than I've been here. So I, I followed her one time to FML and I asked her to introduce me to Monty and Joey who, who like own Mojo, the company, they, they run FML. Right. And they're great. Um, and I asked her to introduce me to them. And when we got there, she just didn't, <laughs> but Scarlett, Scarlett is the type who like gets so distracted and like she'll just be like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't even do. There, there's somebody who does like the best impersonation of her, a friend of mine, and it's so fucking funny. But yeah, she she just like jumps from one person to the next, one person to the next. But yeah, so my my beginnings of my career started with you know following around Scarlett Bobo, and I had a couple of friends who were also starting at the same time, uh, Helena Poison and Juicebox. Literally the first time I ever went out in drag, there was Juicebox. I, I think also one of her first times out in drag, or at least it looked like it. No! And, <laughs> and she was like sitting at this table by herself. And I, I kept like looking over at her because I wanted to like introduce myself to her. Because I was like, oh, another like new drag queen. Maybe we should talk, right? But she just seemed like such a bitch. And I was like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I love that you said that. And then when I had Juicebox on, Juicebox was like, when I first met Eve, I thought she was a bitch. And then now you're like, I thought Juicebox was a bitch. You both thought each other were a bitch. Oh my God. We hated each other. When I tell you, I wish I had our Facebook chat records because I would love to go over it because the shit that we used to argue about, so ridiculous. So, so, so ridiculous. We would just be fighting back and forth at like two o'clock in the morning. And then one day we just like blocked each other and we didn't talk to each other or see each other for like two years. So we would always like avoid each other in public and everything. And eventually, I think the first time we ever spoke to each other again was when we both did a benefit show after Pulse happened. So it was like that one thing that sort of made an inroad for us to be brought back together again. That's kind of a sweet moment yeah. yeah so scarlet bobo ends up being kind of like 
a segueer into you doing drag. So yeah, I, yeah, like she was she was like there when I first started. Yeah. So when you actually got on the stage for let's say your first year of drag, what was yeah. the songs and the routines that you were doing? Oh my god, just whatever stupid shit I could think of, and I was like, I was so horrible. I was the worst performer, but I kept trying and trying and trying. But like, I was just so bad and nobody ever really like told me and like tried to help me. So it was kind of <laughs> like just me just like taking a shot in the dark every time, like doing weird stuff and just hoping that it sticks, you know? And then I had a few like glimmers, like a few successful moments, like buried through all the shit. But I had no performance experience prior to doing drag. I had never done like a musical theater thing. I'd never done a play. I'd never performed on stage ever until I walked up on stage one day at Cruise and Tango's and I did Lady Marmalade. And my friend, my friend Kitty also came up with me. And, well, her name was Kitty at the time, her drag name. And she also came up with me and we kind of like battled each other. It was like a game portion of the show. And it was Jada Hudson and another queen that were hosting it. And so we did Lady Marmalade and we kind of were like facing off against each other. And by audience vote, I won. Um, <laughs> okay. But I think that's only because I can like flawlessly lip sync to the Lil' Kim rap. Mm. And I think people were impressed by that at the time. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first ever experience performing on stage. And you got an audience vote. Hey, at least yeah, the, that was, true. what do you think would have happened if you didn't get the audience vote? Do you think you would have been harder on yourself? No, I would have been like, this is rigged. <laughs> 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 so I would have just been pissed about it for sure. Yeah, I, w- I would have been the same way. I when I went to New York, I like recently. I guess it was literally before COVID. I thought it was recently. It's not. And I went to a bar there, and the drag queen on stage called me up, and they're like, "You're going to do a lip sync performance. We're putting this on." And they were like, "You're going to compete against this person." I'm like, "Okay." I'm like, "What's the song going to be?" It was motherfucking I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman by Britney Spears. And I'm like, how in the world am I supposed to lip sync this? And I don't know how, but I ended up ripping my pants. So I guess at the end of the day, there was a trick up my sleeve. So you definitely showed them that you were not a girl. Yes. (laughs) So season one of Canada's Drag Race comes around. Had you auditioned for season one or did you just audition for season two? Yeah, I auditioned for season one, and my season one audition was disgusting. But I was convinced that they were going to cast me because everyone kind of knows me, and I'm drama, and, like, everybody knew that I would be, like, starting shit and stuff. Which, if I want season one, bitch, my drag would have been horrible, but the drama would have been, like, earth-shattering. Because if I were if I were in there with Scarlett and and um kind and like all those people bitch oh my god and and boa like boa scarlet coming for boa like i would have been like on that bitch like because me and scarlet were not getting along at the time (laughs) and i would have just been like on one man like i would have been really 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 ripping it up in there so i'm kind of glad i wasn't on season one because my drag would have been crappier and i would have been a complete fucking mess 
Do you think that you were a complete fucking mess for season two? <laughs> a somewhat fucking mess. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm, pr- I'm proud of the looks that I brought. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And I honestly like, <laughs> here we go with the delusion. But I kind of thought that my look on episode one was pretty good. Like, I didn't think it was bad. Wait, wait, wait. I need to, I need to refresh myself in the audience. Your look for episode one was that's when you made it the the premiere party Alexanza, right yes 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 okay. yes i thought it was pretty good like it was kind of like an old hollywood sort of thing my idea was that like i'm coming off the jet to my mu- my movie premiere and i'm meeting all of my fans and i'm going to sign the autographs and stuff cuz i didn't want to be attending a premiere i wanted to be the star of the premiere mm. right and you know i had a little story with the head wrap and the sunglasses you know very like um 1940s um what's her name Grace Kelly. They yes. called me Grace Kelly when I was on the runway. So I was like, oh, they must have fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> they called me Grace Kelly. They were like, Anna Nicole Smith, eat your heart out. I was like, oh my God. Well, they fucking love this. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't think it was bad, honestly. Like, I, And I kind of felt like, I don't know. There was some other stuff where like, I was looking at the other girls and I was like, if I were wearing that, I would absolutely be lip syncing. <laughs> But I don't know. But you end up being okay. You're just crying in the background. You know, you took, you (laughs) said to yourself, you said, in this moment, I want it to be about me. Um, (laughs) I really didn't. Oh my God. I'll explain the whole thing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll get ahead of you with your questions and I'll just explain the whole thing. (laughs) But yeah, I, I like, I was dead set on the idea that I was in the bottom. When we were in Untucked and Gia was like, no girl, it's definitely me. I'm in the bottom. I thought Gia was just like being fake modest and like, just like trying to, you know, whatever. But no, she was serious and she was right. She was in the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought for sure it was me and Beth because in my eyes, like Gia put together a more polished look than I did even though it didn't fit the theme. And I don't know, but I did have a really good rapport with the judges when they were critiquing me, which they didn't show, but it was very funny and it was very like lighthearted. But basically the reason why I got so upset was that I kind of accepted the fate that I was possibly going to go home and I wasn't going to get to show any of the amazing things that I worked on, that my friends worked on. And they put so much love and time and care into everything that we did. And I was so grateful to them. And I just wanted to be able to show off, you know, my favorite pieces that we put together. So I was really, really, really upset at the idea that I wouldn't be able to show that. And I was ready to lip sync, bitch. I had I had all these ideas. I was going to take my earring off and do like that thing you know because man eater i was gonna have my um my head wrap over my face at the beginning like uh, like i was at a funeral and it was gonna be a whole moment bitch i was ready to go off and i was ready to like you know kill some bitches but so when they called me safe i just couldn't believe it i was in shock i was in complete disbelief and it was such a whirlwind and it was so crazy and then i turn around and i'm walking to the back and i just start crying like crazy i was just i couldn't help it like i could not control it and i don't care what anybody says because at the end of the day i know that it was real and the girls who were there know that it was real and you can actually people were saying there was no tears but first of all when you're crying like that you're not trying to let the tears run all down your face you catch them as they come out 
number one, unless you're a psychopath. <laughs> number two, there actually is a shot where you can see a single tear coming down my cheek right here when I'm at the back of the stage. And if you go and look for it, you can find it. You just have to pan scroll through it like really <laughs> granular and you'll see it. But with those lights, the tears are clear. So you don't see them that much because it's not like I'm not wearing like non-waterproof mascara. Like I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Erica Jane and Beverly Hills. Exact girl. Next time I will be because I'm gonna Because <laughs> <picture. laughs> if I'm crying, I want them to see it because it's real, you know. And I went in there. I did not have the idea of oh, let's be this personality. Let's do this and let's have the fans love me because I'm this and this. I went in there and I said, I hate watching Drag Race when I can tell that the girls are monitoring themselves and presenting a fake personality. I hate watching Drag Race when girls are doing that. So. For me, I, I was going in there and I was like, I'm just going to be myself completely. Flaws and all, I'm going to present everything that I got. And that's what you have to work with, you know? And maybe I gave them too much to work with. But, you know, that's just what I did. I walked in, I noticed the cameras for the entrance. And then after the entrance, I never looked at the cameras again. And it was just Good. never a part of my mind. I never thought about it. And of course, we knew they, they would say cameras are going up and we would know the cameras were going up. But like my personality and my attitude never changed because of cameras, you know? And you can tell in my interviews, I talk to the interview person just like I'm talking to you now. It's just like a regular natural conversation. I didn't go, oh girl, we are queens and we're gonna, like, that's not, that's not who I am. And I don't do that, you know, maybe unless I'm like, I got have you had a few Red Bulls or something, but you know, it was just all about being real and being myself. That's what I think is interesting on television. <laughs> I want to know right now, uh, for those listening, I have pulled up the Big Top Circus, the Rusical, and Eve is about to come out for her viral moment. I need Eve to explain to me everything that's going through your head starting right now. Okay, so I was probably just practicing the, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, behind the stage. And then I'm coming out, my focus is the vocals, okay? Because the track that they gave us, I'm telling you, it sounded exactly like what I sang. It was very fucked up. <laughs> Wait, this was, was pre-recorded? No, 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 no. The they gave us a track of people singing it so that we could hear what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the person on the track, it sounded exactly like what I sang. And no word of a lie, I, I fucking hit those notes bitch but my focus was too much on the vocals you know but let's continue let's continue so okay so what happened when you tried to do your reveal and it didn't go on that first time like did you get so, freaked out in your head it was kind of like a, oh fuck it you know it was like i kind of had i had a good attitude about it to be honest i kind of was like oh just fucking roll with it like it's fine you know and so then it continues and, you know, I, I do the, I have to like drag the thing to the side and <laughs> I can feel it touch my hand as it went down my back. <laughs> so funny. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to turn something out. Right. So I grab it, <laughs> pretend to put it back on, <laughs> which I thought was a stroke of genius in the moment. Cause I was just rolling with it and I was like, okay, I got to do something. And then bam, the little reveal at the end. But let me tell you about the, the character. The character was supposed to be delusional, 
She's supposed to be not as good as she thinks she is. And her performance is supposed to be lackluster and not that interesting. So I accomplished the fucking role, bitch. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, I got all the words out. I hit the notes. You know, some of them I battered. Um, <laughs> but I hit the notes. <laughs> and, you know, I got it all done. And, hey, that's that's how it is. So That's how it I is. Say? And you know what? At the end of the day, if you would have done anything differently, you wouldn't have had a trick up your sleeve. Like, you wouldn't have had this moment. You know, it wouldn't have been the iconic moment that it turned out to be. And I, like, had such conflicted feelings about that because watching it for the first time, when I saw my face at the beginning, I could see that I had no focus on the performance whatsoever because I was so focused on the vocals. And so when I saw my face coming out, I was like, oh, fuck, like, this is so cringy. I can't watch this. And it was like, my skin was crawling just watching it. I was like, oh, my God, I can't handle this. And then, you know, now I've gotten used to it and it's iconic for what it is. But it was hard to, like, accept that and be like, okay, like, yeah, let's celebrate it for, like, how ridiculous it is, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of celebrating something for how ridiculous it is, your circus berserkus look was fucking ridiculous. That was ridiculous. Like, how did you even think of that? That was so out of the box. Thank you. Um, Actually, my friend designed that for me. That's the only one that I didn't design myself. But I was like really having trouble thinking of like Circus Berserkus. Like I had so many ideas. I had an idea for like a tent, which was like, you know, that's pretty simple, right? So I thought, no, I don't want to do that because I feel like another girl might do that, you know? And OCN ended up doing it and she killed it. So, you know, I had, I had a bunch of ideas. Another one of my, oh, oh my God. The first idea that my friend presented to me, my friend Sapphire, who designed the look, the first idea that she presented to me was a two-headed woman. So could oh, you imagine? my God. If I did the two-headed woman and Pathia also did the, that would have been insane. But Pathia's would have been executed so much better. Because the reason why I didn't do it was because I was like, no, that's way too fucking hard to execute. Like another head on my shoulder, like it's just not going to work. Like it's too cumbersome. It's too complicated. I don't see it working well, so we can't do that. So then eventually she came up with the being inside of the lion. And I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. And let it be known, that outfit was fully completed before the episode of Down Under aired where Karen from Finance did the same thing with a shark, okay? So don't you ever say that I copied anybody on that look, all right? The only person I copied was my designer who came up with it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's my friend Sapphire, the only Sapphire on Instagram if you want to go follow her. But yeah. That, I mean, literally your looks, you killed it time after time. Like you can tell that you have such a creative brain. And it's like, Jesus Christ, like even when you were Bernie Sanders, I was like, how in the world do you look like Bernie Sanders right now? Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> what was the Snatch Game like for you? Because I know that it was a little bit of a struggle bus. I hear from a lot of girls that it's a very long process, that you're sitting there for a very long time. And because of the fact that you don't have a laugh track or anything, you don't necessarily know if you're hitting or if you're missing. How did you feel in Snatch Game? I definitely knew I was missing, but my introduction with Brooklyn was very funny and that got laughs. And then I had a lot of really cute little improv moments that also got laughs and were very funny. And my characterization and my look were on point, you know? So 
I definitely felt that I was going to be safe, even though my answers to the questions were not always great. And everyone in the room pretty much agreed with me that I was going to be safe. You know, I, I like asked everybody, like after we had the deliberation, I was like, so we're pretty clear on who the bottom two is, right? And then everyone was like, yeah. And Adriana was like, yes, definitely. It's me and Suki. And I was like, okay, good. Because that's what I thought too. <laughs> <laughs> but then I said, I feel like because I don't think I'm going to be in the bottom two this time, they're going to put me in the bottom two. And then what do they fucking do? Of course, they didn't put that in the episode. But I was like, I feel like because they don't, I don't think I'm in the bottom two, they're putting me in the bottom two. And then they did exactly that. I'm psychic sometimes, man. I really, <laughs> I have the ESPN or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So if you would not have done Bernie, if Bernie was out of the window, is there somebody else that you would have rather have done looking back on it? Yeah, I definitely should have just done Jennifer Coolidge. But I was like, I was stuck on the idea that like, okay, people see me as this like pretty curvy pageant girl, you know? So they're not going to expect me to do Bernie fucking Sanders. Like nobody would expect any drag queen to do Bernie Sanders, you know? And I was kicking myself because afterwards I came up with so many ideas of how I could have made the answers funnier. Like when Brooklyn asked about a thing and I said healthcare, right? I said drag queens need an app to find healthcare, which is true. I should have said, and under my plan as president, <laughs> all drag queens will be entitled to free hip pad replacement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It needed that. It needed an extra punch onto it to give, you know, but I just, I just like, it's really hard. And that's when you have to come up with the answers really quickly. And what I should have done was pick someone like Jennifer Coolidge, where all I would have to do is just talk like her and, come up with stupid gay shit to say. And then it would have been iconic, you know, because I know how to talk like her. I know how to look like her. And the other one I had was Trisha Paytas. And I helped out, I was helping out Beth because Beth came to Toronto and she had to do a live snatch game thing. So I went to her hotel room and I was helping her out. She was telling me the questions and I was like really quickly like firing off the answers. And I was like, for fuck's sakes, I would have been so good as Trisha Paytas. Like, yes. it would have been amazing. But you know, Maybe for another day. Maybe for another day. You know who my go-to is, who I always say? What is it? Please don't send me any hate, Helen Keller. I would love to do Helen Keller, but the reason why I would want to do Helen Keller is because there's so many conspiracy theories that she actually was not blind or deaf. So I would make that the running joke of it. And you would be canceled. Well, um, so that episode was, you know, Snatch Game. After Snatch Game, you had your Canadian look and you came out. I had, I would love to know how you even thought about your Made in Canada look and that you went the Matrix route because that would have been something I would have never even crossed my mind. Like, how did that cross your mind in not going with something typical Canadian? Yeah. Well, I was thinking of like iconic Canadians, both, you know, male and female. And I came across obviously Keanu Reeves, who we all know is Canadian. And I think he lives in Vancouver now or so. I don't know. But everybody in Canada loves Keanu Reeves. So apparently he's super nice and he's just super cool. Right. Which is just like me. Um, <laughs> so I thought I would do Keanu Reeves. So I obviously your mind goes straight to the Matrix. And I was like, okay, sick. I'm going to do a Keanu Reeves look. And then I realized that Carrie Ann Moss, who plays Trinity in The Matrix, is also Canadian. 
And I was like, okay, well then fuck Keanu Reeves. I'll just say it's Carrie Ann Moss. And so I, I did a jacket like that goes to the floor and it's like very much inspired by one of the outfits that she has, which is like a corset. And it has these, um, these beautiful like line details on it. And it has this square neckline and the big shoulders. So beautiful. Um, and yeah, I, I was really, really proud of how that turned out. That was designed by Lucinda Mew. And yeah, I, I, I loved that look. And I loved this look back hair. Watching it back on TV, I was like, yeah, I wish I'd gone a little bit bigger. But, you know, I was rushing to get everything done. And I hate to be the bitch who's like, can you make the hair a little bigger after it's already done? You know, I just hate to be that girl. So I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'm fucking beautiful. It's going to look good. Right. And then what the fuck happened? <laughs> bigger. And, oh, girl. And let me tell you, I was taking criticism so well, the entire competition, even though, yes, like I was internalizing some of it and it was, it was affecting my performance and stuff. I never talked back to anything. I smiled the whole time and I was like smiling and nodding and, and I was accepting what they were saying and trying to, trying to learn from it. But when that guy <laughs> said that my hair was flat, I was like, <laughs> actually my hair is not flat. Fat girls don't do flat hair, <laughs> but thank you for your critique. <laughs> I died because also you retaliating back and saying that everybody on the internet was like, yeah, her hair's not flat. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, and when he said that, I looked at Brooklyn and Brooklyn went, <laughs> like, <laughs> she made the craziest like screw face. She was like, the fuck? It's not flat. It's like three inches off her head. Um, <laughs> but I think what he meant was like, it wasn't shiny enough to like whatever, but girl, not all of us can afford human hair. Okay. Like I'm working with synthetic takes a lot of hairspray to get into that position and hairspray tends to dull the hair. Okay. So I'm sorry. I don't have, you know, the human hair budget, but you know, I did what I could. So doing with what you could, I am sorry. I just need to, I'm pulling it up for my reference. Cause I would just like to stare at this image. Your monochromatic runway look bitch. How in the world did you come up with this? This color is perfect on you. The wig color is like, everything was so matchy and so monochromatic and so like, you took me to Chromatica, but like beyond Chromatica. Like I wish Lady Gaga would have had something like this. Like this is, <laughs> this is fabulous. Like how did this concept all come to be? Uh, well, so when I thought about like pop star and like futuristic, I thought like, because the prompt that was given to us was monochromatic, futuristic, pop princess. So it was quite a mouthful. And I was like, okay, thinking about like pop princess. And I was like Googling stuff. And I came across an image of Dua Lipa in this beautiful Mugler cat suit. And it had these like rhinestone trims all over it, which I didn't end up doing because it was just too costly. And I thought if I sat in it, I would rip it, you know, because mesh. So yeah, I, I was inspired by Mugler. And I've always taken a lot of inspiration from Mugler. Like my entrance look, half of it was inspired by Mugler, the other half was Versace. And I've done a Mugler um, catsuit before, which I used for my sexy rock and roll look. So yeah, I've always been inspired by Mugler. And I wanted periwinkle because that's like, I think the most flattering color on me. Because my finale gown was also periwinkle. And that gown is actually from 2019. So I kind of knew that like that color is really flattering on me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're going with periwinkle and it's going to be super trendy. It's going to be super like modern because I wanted to have a look that would be trendy and would get the fans like, oh, I love that, you know? Because a lot of my looks were 
more classic or more campy or pageant, but not trendy, you know? So I needed, I needed one look that was like a trendy pop girl look. And I was really, really happy with how it turned out. And Ophelia Manson, who's a friend of mine, did the hair for me. And she did such a great job. She had never done anything like that, like with the, the like structured curls and everything, but she killed it. And then I rhinestoned it in the hotel room and it was just, it was perfect. I was so happy with it. That was the episode you went home too, right? Yes. And yes. this with look. One of the best and this verses, look. With one of the best verses, if I do say so myself, and the best outfit on the runway. But hey, that's Drag Race. <laughs> you, you get off the show. You uh-huh. have your little time period until the show airs. We discussed at the first of this podcast kind of like, when the show ended up coming around and billboards not being, you know, where you thought that they were going to be and it was just like predominantly one city. When you got off the show, what did you think reception and the promo and everything was going to be like when it were was going to come out? I really thought that it was going to blow up. Like, because our cast was so talented. Like, the level of talent in our cast was just incredible. Like, all of those girls are so amazing. And I just thought, like, for sure, this season's going to blow up. Because, first of all, it's been way too long since season one. Like, it was, like, a year and a half or something. So I was like, or no, more than a year and a half. No, yeah, it was, like, a year and a half. A little less than a year and a half. So, I don't know, whatever, something like that. So <laughs> I thought for sure that it was going to blow up. It was going to be amazing. It was going to be even bigger than season one, da, da, da. But I kept my expectations low because I'm not the type of person who likes to count my chickens before they hatch, you know, or I try not to. So I really kept my expectations low. And I was like, you know what? If it ends up like just where season one was and I end up with a career similar to my friends who were on season one, like Boa or Juicebox or Tainomi or all those people, then that would be totally fine with me. And I like can absolutely live with that because they're doing well. And, you know, that's great. It was not that. (laughs) So, temper your expectations a little bit more, maybe. But yeah, it was not what we expected. We all were expecting it to really, really hit, you know? I think I was expecting the same thing, too. And I was, like, just, like, seeing feedback or reception. I was like, wait, the show's on right now. Why is nobody tweeting about it? Like, the show is like, this is happening right now. Like, what's going on? Did you see any uptick in gigs or business or anything afterwards, or was it pretty flat around? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, there, yeah, like I got a bunch of viewing party gigs that I would have never gotten otherwise, and they paid a lot more than I'd ever been paid for drag before. But, you know, after the show stopped airing and after I was off the show, it was pretty much done. And all my viewing parties, I had a viewing party for episode five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And they were all canceled week after week, canceled, 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 canceled. Yeah. So you can imagine how stressful that was. Like, okay, I was counting on that money to pay back the money that I borrowed to go on the show. You know, I was counting on a full season of viewing parties so that I could pay back the people who loaned me money and try to have a little bit of financial security. But it just didn't happen like that, unfortunately. So, and I hate to be the bitch always complaining about it, but like, we all feel this way. And I'm just the only one who is willing to say it for whatever reason, you know? I don't think I'm saying anything bad about the show, the producers, certainly not saying anything bad about World of Wonder because it has nothing to do with them. But it's just, you know, it just didn't happen the way that it was supposed to, like in my mind and in the minds of the rest of the cast. And we all have been 
you know, we've all dealt with, you know, a lot of negative emotions about it. How, because I, I know that for you, you probably took it hard because I would also take it hard if I was expecting to come out of something and have viewing parties or gigs or anything. And then things are not coming through. How did you take that internally? Like, did you, I would need 9 million therapy sessions. I feel like, like, how did you come to terms with everything? Yeah. And I've been in counseling and um, that's one of the good things that I got out of the show because basically after episode two aired, I emailed them and I was like, uh, you guys are going to have to give me therapy because um, this is not good. <laughs> so I got them to, you know, get me counseling. And, you know, so I've been, you know, dealing with the issues that come from that. And it was like on top of the show, not doing that well. I also was the only one in the show that was allowed to look bad. And the only one that was allowed to be embarrassed, the only one that was allowed to be portrayed negatively, when we're all human beings, we all have fully rounded personalities, we all said things that were shady, we all did things that were negative, but only mine were ever shown. And I'm not blaming it on the edit, because listen, blame it on the edit, blame it on the edit, but they can't put words in my mouth, and they can't make me do things that I don't want to do. But what they can do is provide context and not provide context for things. So then you don't understand really what the full story of the situation is. And you kind of expect people to have a more educated viewpoint of the show. Because you once you do the show, you kind of think that everyone understands that, you know, it's a 40-minute show, but it, they're capturing 24 hours of footage into 40 minutes, you know? So you're not going to see everything. So you should take everything with a grain of salt. But as we see, like today, this week, Deja is getting attacked for no fucking reason. And what did she do? Speak her mind? Oh my God, God fucking forbid. Like, how dare she be a plus size person, be a person of color and speak her mind? You know, when, when a skinny white girl can do it and they're fine, you know? So the fan base has a lot of issues and, you know, it's always easy to make the big girl the villain it's always easy to make a person of color into a villain, you know, more so. And it's just crazy how things play into that. And it was upsetting to me and it was hurtful to me because when you're doing the show and not even on the level of the public perception, but just on the level of the editors who I met and who I was working with them to create a show. So like we were working together and we're friendly and we talk on Instagram and shit, but then you're putting together an edit for this show where you're making me look fucking horrible and everyone else, I'm not going to say any specific names or any specific comments or anything, but lots of other people had very shady negative things to say and they were not shown. And you wonder why, why do they only show negative from me and they only show positive from everyone else? It just seems to me that that's trying to paint a narrative that I am the villain, that I don't get along with all the other girls, which is not true. And I made great friendships in there. And from the moment I got in there, me, Suki, and Padilla, we bonded instantly. And then over the next couple of days, I bonded a lot with Kimora. I bonded a lot with Stephanie. Towards the end, I was bonding a lot with Cynthia. I bonded with Kendall. Even Gia and I had bonding moments where we talked about you know, feeling misunderstood. We talked about you know, gender identity and all these things. And then it was all gone. It never happened, you know? So it's, it's almost like you feel like you're being gaslighted, you know? Because it's like, I know what that experience was. And then you are telling me that it was something completely different. 
And then the fans are backing you up because the fans only see what you want them to see. So it definitely feels like you're being gaslighted. And when RuPaul came out with the song Blame It on the Edit, I thought it was cute. I was like, okay, it's a funny little joke. It's like, you know, it's just a take on, you know, a popular concept, whatever. And I think it's funny. And it was a cute song. You know, I'm always here for RuPaul's music. I love RuPaul's music. But what I don't like is the fans using it to gaslight the queen. And I'm not just talking about me, but talking about all the queens across all the franchises. I see it so much. The queens are saying, you know, actually, like, this isn't this. And it's, oh, blame it on the edit, girl. Blame it on the edit. And it's like, girl, you weren't fucking there. I was there. And I'm not a fucking liar. So if I'm telling you something, it's fucking true. And whether you believe me or not, I don't give a fuck. But don't tell me to fucking blame it on the edit because I know the truth and you don't. Like, you can't tell someone who knows more than you that they're wrong. I'm sorry. That just doesn't make sense. And I think that the thing that... (laughs) Well, I, I think that the thing that's just so frustrating about that, too, is that you girls are having to work after this in these aspects of your life, you know? Like, you are a drag queen. This is your thing. It's totally different if it's The Bachelor or something and you're presented a certain way for a dating show or something because that's not your career. Your career is not, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a serial dater for the rest of my life. Like, (laughs) so, so I think that that's my frustrating part behind it. It's also very sad when I see you girls get hate. Like, Pangina Mm -hmm. getting all the hate from sending Lemon home. I'm like, at the end of the day, it's like, who gives two shits? It's a TV show. And I would have done, I don't think I would have done the same thing, but at the end of the day, like (laughs) I would have made this, they made the right decision for my own game. You're making it out for Mm -hmm. yourself. You're playing a game. It's not, you know, real craziness in front of there. And I think that it's just, the fandom just needs to come to, accepting that reality TV is reality TV. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of sad because it does affect our bookings. It affects our following. It affects, you know, how people perceive us, obviously in a major, major way. And I can't tell you how many times I was at a viewing party and doing a meet and greet and people were saying to me, oh my God, we were scared to meet you because we thought you were going to be so rude. Like we thought you were going to be a bitch. We thought you were going to be so negative, da, da, da. But I'm a fucking lovely person. Like newsflash, if you come up to me and say hello to me, I am wonderful to talk to and I'm funny and charismatic and I love meeting people and I do great fucking meet and greets. But people don't know that because people aren't booking me because of how the show portrayed me. Because the people are not asking for me because they think I'm going to be a fucking bitch. And that's just not true. Like, I would never be rude to someone for no reason. That's not who I am. And, you know, everything you see on TV, like, is not 100% the truth. And you have to learn to separate that and just take it with a grain of salt. Like, yes, that's an aspect of her personality, but that's fine. Like, it's just everyone, we're all full people. And they just, you can't show the full, you know, 360 degree view of a person as they are in 40 minutes. It just doesn't work. So. And like, I always think too, like if I was to be on something similar, like I sit back and I watch everybody. I'm like, who is going to be the competition? Like who, like what's the, I read the room. That would not be Mm -hmm. great TV. And I probably would be known as like a snobby, like person, (laughs) like, and just in the side judging people, but I'm doing it for my own game. I think that a lot of times people forget that too. It's like, you're playing a game. You're trying to win a hundred grand and you're trying to get a crown. Like you're going to do what it takes. It's a competition. Yeah. It's a competition. 
Are all the girls supposed to be like, oh, I just love you all so much. It's so lovely to meet you. Like, that's not real life. And I'm sorry, do you want to watch real people? Are you watching reality television? Or do you want to watch fake personalities? If you want fake, nice personalities where everyone's sweet and the villain dies at the end, go and watch a fucking Disney movie. That's not RuPaul's Drag Race. If you can't handle the personalities on RuPaul's Drag Race or Canada's Drag Race or uh, RuPaul's Drag Race UK or Down Under or Thailand or Lithuania or Kosovo or Tuvalu, then don't watch fucking Drag Race. Drag queens are cunty, shady, we're bitchy, and we like to like mess with each other and shade each other. And it's all fun because it's a community thing and it's part of our community. And it's actually a way that we show love and appreciation for each other most of the time. So it's just not something that should be taken so heavily by people, but people just don't understand yet. And it's a really big problem with the fan base, but there's not really anything you can do about it. It's just something that, People just have to learn and get over it. And I think, too, the fan base, if the fan base were to go and support the drag local-wise, they would see, too, that a lot of the behaviors and how people act and the crudeness or the crassness or having fun or poking jokes is all what a drag show is. Anytime I've, like, I know it's gotten a lot more subdued recently because of Drag Race, but... When I, 10 years ago, was going to a drag show, I would get called out all the time for a look mm-hmm. or for this or that or for being right. a twink or this. And you just, like, it was banter. And it was fun to, like, just be in that environment. That's just how yeah. it is. And it's a, it's a really a big community thing. It, it's just a part of our community. And it's just some people don't understand it. And it's unfortunate. But you can't translate everything to the layperson, you know? Not everyone's going to understand the tricks of the trade. Oh, no, no tricks up, no sleeve. (laughs) (laughs) So Eve, as we are, you know, kind of like wrapping down, I I do want to know from you, what's going on with your life? What's next for Eve? Like, what do you have coming down the pipeline for 2022? So for 2022, I'm going to hopefully be able to pay my rent, Um, (laughs) working on that. Again, I have my first HRT appointment in April, so I'm very excited about that. I have um, I have a couple of gigs this month. I'm open for more. Somebody wants yes. to book me. I do great. I'm great at doing ad reads, bitch. I can read an ad like nobody's business. Get me in front of the camera, and I can say what you need me to say, bitch. Yes. But yeah, I, girl, I'm just really trying to get myself out there a little bit more. I want to start doing some more creative content. I want to start doing some makeup looks where I can just paint my face and then just isolate everything else and like just make it a face thing. Because at this point, it's like, I can't afford to make another new look every week. But what I can afford is to paint stuff on my face because that doesn't really cost me anything. So I'm, I'm trying to get more into that and try to make that part of my brand. Cause I've always had these really, really, really creative ideas, you know, cause I've always been an artist. So I've always had really creative ideas for face makeup, but I just don't often get the time or the, the chance to execute them. Cause it takes a lot of time. And I'm like, well, fuck today I have to draw this and I have to do this and I have to do this. And then I want to play Pokemon legends Arceus for a little bit. <laughs> and you know, I gotta like, and I gotta cook my food cause I'm on keto now. So girl, I don't have a lot of time. So I'm just I'm just trying to find the time to dedicate to a little bit more more creative content. <laughs> he said Pokemon. My boyfriend's addicted to that game. He will play it to like five in it's the morning. It's so fun. The, just the gameplay loop of running around, like crouching in the grass, 
throwing the Pokeball, I just love it. I love it so much. It's so much fun. So wrapping all this out, what would you say is the biggest misconception of Eve 6000? I mean, basically everything you saw in Drag Race. Because <laughs> like when, when they showed the last episode, they finally showed my sense of humor, you know, and they didn't show it for the whole thing until that point. And I was like, fuck, like, I know I was in that workroom cracking jokes and like making friends with everybody, but they just chose not to ever show it. So it painted a really one-dimensional picture of who I am and made it look like I'm just whining and crying all the time and I'm just complaining every day and all I do is talk about myself and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's part of my personality, (laughs) but that's not the whole thing, you know? So I really wish that they could have put in some clips of me talking to the other girls, making friends, but it was all discarded. So... I don't really like I just wish I just wish there could have been more scene. So yeah, the biggest misconception about me is that I'm just like a whiny bitch who, you know, always complains about everything. But being in drag race is a very, very, very high stress, high pressure environment. And I was going through a lot. You know, I have always struggled with my gender identity stuff, but there's also another thing that's like a family thing that I still can't talk about. And that was putting a lot of stress on me every single day. I was thinking about it and I still think about it every day. And, you know, it's something I couldn't talk about. I couldn't, you know, release my feelings to anyone. I still can't talk about it. And it's just something that's so, so, so difficult. And if people knew, I think they would understand me a little bit more. They would understand why I was so emotional and why I was so raw. And, you know, but maybe they'll know one day in the future, but I can't say anything now. So do you feel like, if you were to divulge that, that people, like you just said, like, do you think people would actually understand you more? Do you think you would get more, more understanding by fans and stuff? I mean, if I had been the person that people think I am and used it for TV time, yeah, it probably would have made things go more in my favor. It probably would have tilted the scales and the audience would have seen like, oh, Eve is a human being. I remember the episode of Snatch Game when Pythia was crying about her um, family, right? She started talking about her family. And that was after I had talked about my family. And I told her something about my parents. Like when I came out, my dad told me all these horrific, horrible things. He was like, you're going to die of AIDS. Nobody's ever going to love you. You'll never be happy. Da, da, da. And he would like, he didn't just say it to me. He would like burst into my room at any random time and scream it at me for like minutes on end. He would just be screaming at me just randomly, random bursts of verbal abuse. And Pythia told me that her parents said the same thing to her. So we had a real moment together. We connected over that. And of course it wasn't shown, but after Pythia was crying, I like hugged her and I saw comments like, Oh, Eve is actually a real person. Like she's hugging Pythia. Like, Oh my God. Like, (laughs) did you guys not know it was a person before? I've always been a real person. I've always been a human being just because you see me like being rude or shady. Doesn't mean I'm not a fucking human being. You know, it's like, you have to show people the evidence that they're watching a person. So maybe that's something that editors have to keep in mind because like, otherwise the audience will have a one directional view of this person and see them as a villain. And I don't believe that the producers or editors wanted that for me. I think they were just trying to create a TV show, a reality TV show. And I signed up for it and I knew what it was. So, and I knew I would probably get the villain edit because I've always been kind of misunderstood, you know? 
But yeah, I think that's something maybe that people should keep in mind that like you have to paint a fuller picture. You can't just show somebody being, you know, negative about everything. You have to show a little bit of positive too, because otherwise the audience just doesn't think they're human. It's crazy, but it's true. Smart words. Very, very smart words. (laughs) Um, Wise beyond my 21 years. Wise beyond your 12 years. Let's Yes. Um, (laughs) So my last question for you, Eve, is what is a message that you have for our beautiful LGBTQIA plus community? Has there been anything that's stuck with you that's helped you as an individual? I would say I'm a person who's really, really, really hard on myself. And the way that I judge myself is so much harsher than I would ever put on anyone else. And I know so many queer people are like that. So many gay kids put so much pressure on themselves, even though they don't judge other people for those things. You know, like I hate myself for being fat or for being whatever, for being tall because I'm dysphoric about it or for, you know, my face or whatever, you know. But if I look at someone else, I never put that judgment on them. You know, like I never think about just because if I see a trans woman who is tall and has broad shoulders and like doesn't have, you know, million dollar FFS and a BBL, I don't judge her for that. And I don't see her as any less of a woman, but I do it to myself for all the queer people. Like, I just really want people to not be so hard on themselves because that can really ruin your life. Like you can spend years of your life hating yourself and not taking care of yourself in the way that you need to because you you don't see potential in yourself and you don't love yourself. So just stop judging yourself so harshly. That would be my advice to everyone. I I agree with that. I am very hard on myself. I know that's a very gay and a very creative thing too. Like you're always hard on yourself. I think also I will say one thing that I've learned is that I used to be overweight when I was overweight and I lost my weight, even though I lost it, it still is a very mental thing to where when I wouldn't want pictures of myself taken or whatever. And then looking back at those pictures to this day, it's like, what the fuck were you thinking? You look so good. Like, stop. If I look at pictures of myself when I'm freaking 18 or 16 or 17, I was so fucking skinny, but I was so, so in your head, like, I was so in my head about believing that I was fat. Yep. And like I still remember the very first time my mom ever said something to me about my weight. And I was like five years old or something. And she said that I was chubby or something like that. And it just sticks with you for your whole life, you know? And I just, I can't even look back at those photos because I'm like, oh my God, what a waste of time. Like I wasted so much time thinking that I wasn't enough when I was fucking gorgeous And I could have had the world in the palm of my hands if I had only known, you know, the power that I held at that time, you know, being 18 years old, 150 pounds, you know, I could have done whatever I wanted, but you know, so don't waste your time. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't wait until you're 30 years old to realize how hot you were when you were 19 or 20, like own it and like flaunt who you are and and be yourself and, and just be, be happy in the moment because it can always get worse. It really can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the it gets worse PSA announcement, not it gets yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eve 6000, thank you so much for being here with me today and exposing yourself. Is there anything else that you want to push, tag, do, say, make people go and follow you by cameos? Anything that you want to plug? 
Yeah, so eve6000.com slash shop. You can get signed prints. I have a deal with two for 20, or you can get my monochromatica one for 15. I have um, t-shirts. You can buy all kinds of t-shirts on there. There's so many. And there's like a beautiful monochromatica one, which is like a crescent moon. It's beautiful. So yeah, go and buy my merch. Follow me on Instagram, all about Eve 6000, on Twitter, also about Eve. And I guess look out for my eventual uh, transition GoFundMe. Yes! <laughs> I'm going to need like 40 grand, bitch. We'll, we'll get it. It's time to start it. We'll have to have it started by the time this interview hopefully comes out. So then we'll just put the link <laughs> yeah. below and then people can just click, click, click. <laughs> I'll give you 5%. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eve, for being here. Make sure to go follow Eve on all the socials. What was it again? You said all about Eve on... On Instagram and TikTok, and also about Eve on Twitter, because my other one got suspended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, go follow her, go buy a cameo, go buy some merch, go give her your support. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard. Make sure to like, comment, give this all the love. If you're listening to the podcast version, rate, review, all of that stuff, share it. Show everybody that you know about Eve, you know? Give her some love. Um, Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard, and that is the beautiful Eve 6000. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Exposed Dragged Out, brought to you by The Dip. I'm Joseph Shepard, your host. You can follow me on all things social at Joseph A. Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. You can also go to thedip.com slash RuPaul's Drag Race. The Dip with two P's dot com. That's the dip with two P's.com. Use promo code EXPOSE for 50% off your membership. And be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip, including Hot Off the Mess with Samantha Bush, the Daily Pop Culture Podcast, Pop Chaser, TV History Podcast, TV Watch Repeat, Real Housewives Podcast, The Slut Pick Podcast, and also I Am the Cute One, a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen podcast. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard. Expose yourself. Ooh.